हेलो वेलकम टू ए टिपिकल दिक्कतें अ कॉन्वर्सेशन पॉडकास्ट आई एम योर होस्ट सौम्या एंड इन दिस पॉडकास्ट आई टॉक टू फेलो क्वियर न्यूरो डाइवर्जेंट एंड डिजिबल फोक्स वाई बिकॉज आई वॉन्ट टू दिस पॉडकास्ट इज अ वे फॉर क्वियर एंड डिजिबल फोक्स टू टेक अप स्पेस अकॉर्डिंग टू आवर ओन टर्म्स टूडे आई हैव प्रणव हु इज अ सुपर कूल फ्रेंड ऑफ माइंड Pranav is a cat lover, a real one. They are a queer, disabled, non-binary person with a wicked sense of humor that they developed from continuously struggling to survive in a neurotypical, sexist, and heteronormative society. They are also an educator and trained facilitator of gender, sexuality, and disability, and primarily works with children on these topics. In their free time, when they are not anxious about their past or future. or about the fact that one color from their color box is missing they like to dance to doja cat's music hello pranav hello hi hi how are you doing good doing good it's 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 great weather here i'm in delhi and uh, yeah the weather has been super kind today so and that's sort of was unexpected but it's been good yeah so i'm quite happy today actually That's good. <laughs> you sound happy as well. Just to you know, give a brief to the listeners. This is the second time we are recording this. We try to record it um in the evening one day, and because this is the wedding season, and people started bursting crackers in my locality, and me being a neurodivergent person, I got overstimulated, and uh, then like I was you know fumbling around like when should I fix this because there were some other things that I was juggling with. So yeah. i'm like terrified of uncertainty and that's how crippling uh, the whole experience was until i got the time and then scheduled rescheduled this uh, uh, recording but yeah have you have you experienced things like these pranav all the time all the time like i mean <laughs> for me for me it's it's uh, it's it's and and this is something which i started recognizing very recently like i didn't know that this was happening to me and i was just going through these experiences i'm like oh i am not able to like do this properly or do that properly and that's that's only you know very recently i realized that is there's like lack of structure and any change in the structure uh, or any information that i already have and that has changed like just bothers me a lot so um and then when i really got to know that it's my neurodivergent brain that needs some sort of support and then when i started giving him i'm just able to perform and like function better uh so yeah happens to me all the time like literally all the time yeah i know right like you just feel stuck like if there is a meeting i have to do 10 other smaller things in order to be prepared for that meeting and until that happens i am just stuck i can't do anything else <laughs> totally agree like even even today like when i was about to do we so so this is for the listeners so we were supposed to meet at a certain time but i just realized that i like mentally i need to like still fix a few things and i will take like 20 minutes to actually do it as so i then i texted somya and i was like hey can we please move this by like half an hour in exactly half an hour and i'll be there exactly at that time but i do need that just just that half an hour extra to like figure things out around me and come to the space where i can like fully function um and i think i think like you know it just like i know like if i had started like if we had started half an hour ago i know i would have been in a different headspace because i was like acha this is not sorted this is not sorted all of those things but yeah and and the fact that you understood that and you were like yeah yeah sure definitely it it, it like that 
that is the world i want to live in honestly exactly right like these are the accommodations that we need like even in a day we need different things right our needs they kind of shift so yeah totally agree on this and um, you know uh, in your bio where you mentioned that you know if that one color is missing um you'll be anxious about that and that's so mm-hmm. relatable like mm-hmm. the other day my mom kind of like moved the coaster on my table like mm-hmm. there's a fixed spot where my lamp has to be there my bottle right. has to be there the air conditioner remote has to be there my phone my laptop and my coaster yeah. so you know i need that structure and um, that just 100%. allows me to function so 100% 100% i agree and like i think even in my bio when you mentioned like doja cat right like i was just thinking about my playlist so i have i think around in the eight or nine songs that i just keep listening on the loop because i'm just not ready to listen to any new music and the way i discover music is only when i hear it somewhere else once and then i'm like and then i'll sit with that song for the next 8 months you know that's how that's how <laughs> music happens for me and somehow like doja cat for me is like the it's been like i've been listening to the same set of 8 or 7 songs from one of her albums for the past one and a half years um so so i mean all these things like when we talk about i'm sure like a neurotypical uh, brain that is listening to this right now or a neurotypical person must be like uh, what are they talking about like why is it so difficult for them to like why why to get bothered to the coaster this year or there or you know if why not listen to new music but uh, how do we explain yeah i mean these are my safe songs like i also listen to very specific songs um i mean the lyrics hold emotional value the songs hold emotional value and i can listen to the same song on repeat on loop for hours together and that's also a form of stimming for me like self regulating behavior when i am anxious or overwhelmed about something it just soothes my nervous system and mm-hmm. uh, yeah not many people get it i remember this one particular time when i was i think in um seventh grade or something and one of my cousin brothers um he was like why are you listening to the same song yeah <laughs> and uh, i had no idea or no answer then but today i know i mean it just helps i don't know sameness just helps me ground myself in this world which is so unpredictable yeah so, yeah 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 definitely and i think for us what what happens is like there's just so much information and then we process it in a certain way right and and different than how neurotypical brains would do it and uh, when we go out in the world or even just day to day functioning we realize that you know if there is if i am not able to predict what's going to happen it just bothers me a lot and i think that comes down to something as simple as listening to the same song knowing that this is what the lyrics are going to be like this is what the sound is going to be like um and these things are just important and not like fun fact by the way this is very recently i realized that people don't do this i thought everyone has like oh there's this one playlist that they listen to and then whatever and i realized people are discovering music on a daily basis and i was just shocked and i was like how are you doing it like how are you listening to new music like how how's that mind working you know and for me that is like how neurotypical would look at us and they'll be like oh this is a strange brain for me i look at neurotypical people and i was like that's a strange brain like how how they function oh my god i know right it's the same yeah. for me like every day something is coming up and people are getting hooked to it and then i just can't i just yeah. still 
same playlist even shows even clothes even food <laughs> like i everything the, everything everything oh god this everything. is so relatable <laughs> everything shows also like so many like i just keep going back to i will start from after finishing the final season i will go back to first but i will refuse to start a new show unless and until and and something i think about like then what is it like that makes me it's not that i'm i, I don't explore new shows i just do the frequency is much less but i am also very curious to know like what pushes me to actually see the new show and then i was just doing like sort of reflection and uh, trying to understand like what pushes me to see something new is i is when i realized is something from the show still f- feels familiar so i recently started watching this new show and there was a song which i had heard before and that song was like sort of a segue for me into you know just that 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 was it what pulled me into watching the show so there was still some kind of familiar familiarity i dyslexia yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that sort of like pushed me to to watch that show so yeah no this is so validating and so relatable but yeah like nobody gets it uh, when uh, i say that i i i kind of like certain textures uh, or like you know certain types of clothes uh, yeah so yeah like as a child my parents would often tell me like don't have your mind blocked mm. i mean mm. it's just an unpredictable world and these things help me you know ground myself that's all yeah yeah true true actually i wanted to ask you something you know um, mm-hmm. so you are an educator and trained facilitator of gender sexuality and disability and you work with children so mm-hmm. how has that experience been like especially with uh, children right like so so uh, quite interesting actually like when i started doing this work i was uh, doing it for adults and one day uh, so back then i was working with a social organization that you know works in government schools and and one of the teachers who was part of our organization asked me to do something similar i had done a gender sexuality module for the adults there and they asked me to do something for the children uh, for the students and i was like okay that's interesting so let me try it out and uh, yeah and i thought it was going to be tough because these topics are you know slightly complex you have to get into the depths of it and all of those things and i didn't know if children will be able to comprehend i knew that there's a need to talk about these things for sure but i didn't know how to do it really and then after whatever research i did and all of that i realized that um you know i can actually use pretty much the same modules but here's the thing like the difference here was like how it was received and uh, what i realized is like children are just so amazing they are so open to to listening to new uh world views they are open to you know exploring things they are open to questioning things and change their views if they don't agree with something and honestly the experience has been great because i feel like it's far more easy to work with kids than it's with adults because adults at the, by the time they are adults they have they have sort of cemented a lot of ideas and they so strongly believe that even if there's an evidence that goes against their idea they are not ready to take like you know get rid of that idea and with kids it's like oh oh now this this sounds like a fact and we'll just accept it right um at the same time they are so authentic because they are quite innocent in in some ways and they are so authentic so for them understanding like say for example if i was to give them an example of 
a gay couple for them it's not about oh two men together how does that look all of that for them they were like oh yeah okay this makes sense like two people love each other isn't that what love is supposed to be and they are together and i was like okay that that's that was easy yeah that that happened so so for me it's it's been it's been great and i think since then i have been like pretty much working only with kids um and i think every time i go inside the classrooms and talk to kids about these things it's it's just been great so what i also realized is that i stay away from all the labels i don't get into the labels i don't get into the the you know the semantics of it but i i definitely do talk about feelings and just talk about being authentic and genuine and i think and it works beautifully yeah we often say that you know how do we initiate these conversations uh, without using the words because um these are stigmatized and these are sensitive mm. topics so yeah. yeah that definitely makes sense how do you create um, you know such a safe and inclusive space with children uh, when you talk about these issues right like i mean for me uh creating safe spaces is it's just telling them at the beginning of the session that this is like the intention of the session this is where we are heading and i also want you to participate equally so there's like no power dynamics i'm not your facilitator or your teacher or somebody who's an adult in the room we're just going to have an open discussion and it's only through discussions that we explore things uh say for example i remember i was in one class where we were just talking about an example of a doctor and a nurse and everything and of course gender roles came up and they said that they imagined doctor to be a man and nurse to be a woman and all of that and then there was no mention of other genders and all of those things and we just had a very casual basic discussion around why do we think that is why do we think that men came to our head when we thought of a doctor or a woman came to our head when we thought of a nurse and and it was just discussion between uh each other uh that you know that just made it like it was just a, such a free flowing discussion so it just worked out really well like i mean they were able to just come to the the point that gender roles really suck and there's somebody who's already decided and they decided to uh start recognizing these things so that happened By the way do you ever like uh, experience any sort of pushback when you approach educational institutions or teachers uh, because that is it's still like considered a taboo right so has there ever been pushback regarding like sensitization sessions of this sort yeah yeah of course all the time actually and it's not the kids when it comes from the the pushback has has come from either parents or it has come from like senior members in the school uh like the reason like why i'm able to get inside schools is only because there's this one teacher who wants to really do this session or like this one department which is really uh you know really wants to have these sessions in their schools but apart from that all the other senior members basically all the adults in the school they're like hmm we are not too sure and i remember like uh talking to a principal before doing the session and they were like acha like you talk about all of these things but don't talk about these these things and i was like why well, i'm not supposed to talk about these things and they were like they are kids they it's not for them this is something that it's a choice that we make as an adult um and this was with respect to sexuality uh sexual orientation uh specifically and i was like you know what like then i realized that hey you know what i'll do the session with the kids uh later why don't we sit first and and talk about these things and and let me take you through what the modules are like what are the things we're going to talk about and if you feel that these things don't make sense 
then we'll not do the session, right? And so whenever I enter a school or whenever I'm working with a group of students, my first approach is always to have a session with the parents and then have a session with the teachers and then actually move on to uh, kids and students from that school because uh, because the kids will also come back for question. Like they'll have a lot of questions after the sessions and the parents and the, the teachers should also be you know, they should have enough knowledge to actually be able to answer these questions. So that's been my approach. So work start with the adults and then come to the come to the students. And it's not because students won't understand. It's because I am just trying to I've just figured out a way to create a structure that works well without getting the pushback. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, you also work on disability, right? Given that school can be pretty ableist and exclusionary, right? For Hmm. neurodivergent and disabled kids. Um, Hmm. So, um, and also it's so normalized, right? If you kind of like, um, uh, you know, if you fall down or something, the usual response that you get is, oh, are you blind or something? Yeah. And then if somebody, if a kid is like kind of hyperactive or something or a little slow, you use all sorts of like ableist Right. You know, terms. So how do you have this conversation with, um, um, you know, kids? Um, because again, like they kind of imitate whatever they see because teachers use these terms as well for kids when, right. you know, when kids don't perform according to their expectations. So how do you initiate these conversations about language, about ableism in general with kids? Right. So... To be extremely honest, here's the thing, like I have not been actually able to talk to kids about disability the way I would like to do it, uh, only because uh, I get very limited time in schools and we are just asked to do certain topics. So, And this is where I, I realized the problem was, and there have been so many times I've taken, like I've designed, I've done like a lot of research and I designed a beautiful module around beautiful like Kutkitari, but like a really good module around uh say disability um and and how do we talk about neurodivergence how do we talk about atypical brains and all of those things and then i go to schools and schools are like you know we don't have kids who are disabled you know that's usually their response and then they're like we don't actually we have this one kid who who is a wheelchair user i mean for them the idea of disability is is so different like i mean it's restricted to one physical disability and even in physical disability there is only a certain type of physically dis- physical disability that they look at right and uh and so so whenever but i definitely want to talk about these things so i do talk about like stereotypes i talk about what are the words that we are using can we examine the words sometimes we sit and break down we break down the words sometimes we you know do these group activities but but that's been a real problem. And I think like, and oh, precisely why like my, the modules that I am now in the process of creating, I want to integrate disability very slowly into it because there has been a pushback for this. And it's, it's and, and, and isn't it funny? Like, I mean, there are schools which are like, oh, chalo gender sexuality, pe aap karlo session. Yeah, yeah, talk about queerness, talk about these things, talk about whatever very important they recognize the need they understand why it's important all of those things but when it comes to disability there's a very different kind of ignorance that exists and uh, and at this point i think i'm just like a little i mean i don't know fascination is the term but i'm just a little fascinated i'm not surprised but i'm just like what is happening so yeah 
I kid you not, uh, you are my third guest and all three of my guests so far have pointed this out. Like the idea of disability is just physical disability, you know, for the society, the one which they can see. Um, mm-hmm. So there's clearly a hierarchy over here when we talk about disability. Um what got you interested in working, you know, on these intersections with children? These are not easy topics, especially, yeah. you know, even with adults. So children, yeah. so what got you interested working on these intersections with children? Right. So, so basically my life, right? Like what happened is like growing up, I, I first, you know, uh, understood that there is sexual orientation that I have to look at, that I realized that it's a non-normative sexual orientation that I have. So I had to figure that out. Then a few years later, I realized that, oh, maybe I do have uh, a neurodivergion brain. And that's when I started thinking about neurodivergence. And that happened. And then when I was like, I'm done with all of this, like, you know, I figured it out. And then comes like gender. And then there is like non binaryness And then I'm like, okay, this this is a lot, right? This is a lot for one person to handle. Um, and then taking all of this together, going back, reflecting, introspecting, I realized that I always lived at that intersection of gender, sexuality, disability. And one of the reasons why school was extremely tough for me. And of course, like when I was in school, I was like, okay, I'm just like a kid who, who, who is experiencing school as perhaps all other kids are, but like growing up and you know, having 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 seen like being in the education sector also, I realized that wasn't the experience of most people. That was experience of very, very specific set of people, uh, which included me. And I'm like, and because I am also very, very passionate about education in general, and I'm like, this is a very big systemic problem. It's not the problem of identity, it's not the problem of uh location it's not the not any other problem but it's a systemic problem it's just everything together is just literally working against (laughs) identities which are intersectional right um and and that just made me think that what is it that i can do for this right like now at this point i am i am 28 years old i have the knowledge i have the resources and i also just just work very closely with the education sector so it's like okay what are the things that i can do what are the things that i can change um what is my what are my skill sets that would work and and that's why so i mean in a way that it comes from it i don't want to call it like a selfish thing but it's it comes from a lot of introspection i just don't want any other kid to experience the way i experience school um and 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 I always keep thinking about the idea of rest, right? Like when in disability, we always talk about the idea of rest. And I realized that uh, the idea of rest also extends to being a being a non-binary person or being to 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 being a queer person. And there is never rest. We are constantly fighting, uh, you know, the the normative system all the time. And I was like, when will I rest? And in school, there are already so many things happening. You're growing up, hormones are there, people are there, teachers are there, all of these things are there. And on top of that, we have to literally like fight the normative system. So, so I just don't want, um, I just want to change things for the kids 
uh, in whatever capacity I can do for kids who who share a similar identity. So that's where the passion actually comes from. Um, yeah, and even if like one life is one one kid, one kid is able to feel comfortable with their identities in that school. I think I think I'll be happy. Like yeah, so <laughs> so that's where it comes from. But yeah, that's that's it. I guess this is so relatable. You know, I tend to do my activism to the point of burnout. because mm-hmm. i'm constantly like you know fighting i want to change this i want to change that because yeah. i have lived those things and yeah. i don't want these things to perpetuate and sometimes i can't even stop yeah like i'll i'll need a break i'll want to take a break but i'll see something which you know triggers a lived experience of mine and then i'll you know jump head first into it so hmm. i don't think i have rested in a very long time when yeah. it comes to because all of these discussions even when you do with those around you this includes labor right so and much it's labor. draining but it's um, yeah yeah i think i need to teach myself how to stop sometimes like in disability justice we say even rest is resistance right exactly so when i started this podcast i was like these conversations that i have with fellow disabled neurodivergent queer people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. these are validating for me this is yeah. my form of rest even yeah. if i'm doing activism through this yeah. this is rest for me this is building yeah. a community i'm building yeah. queer disabled intimacy through this and i enjoy these conversations because yeah. they are incredibly validating i yeah. i completely agree agree with you and i'm also thinking like also at the same time like while even for me like when when i'm talking about these things and you know i'm having conversation with a fellow uh neurodivergent person and you know we're just getting just sort of validating our experiences at the same time i feel like while it is and like i mean this is just my perspective and like you know um i'm also thinking that i think sometimes rest and lack of rest exists together right like even though we like say even this podcast for that matter right like this does help us understand who we are and all of those things and it is very validating but at the same time we are still talking about these things only because we still are fighting the normative structures right and and this is what i think what say set people or you know men straight men or uh you know all of those who are in power what they fail to understand is like they don't have to think about these things right so even when they're actually resting sometimes that rest is also not rest because you will i don't know i i really don't know that you know that's the question i have like when do we rest can we actually rest because everything around us is is makes us non normative um because of which just order to survive and i'm not even talking about thriving here but just order to survive we ha- are constantly like functioning like we're constantly like operating we are doing something or the other just existing itself is like lack of rest so i don't i i i i really would i really hope that there is some place some some form where we can truly truly rest you know you know what i mean yeah totally i mean i mean it's it might sound very silly to a neurotypical person but um especially during the burnout i'm constantly hearing this ringing noise in my ears mm. it's called tinnitus right so mm. um i have it but now it's just aggravated so i'm constantly mm. hearing and it's not an outside noise uh, but you know 
I'm just hearing it and the only way I can drown it is by hearing my safe songs on you know mm. full music mm. so you know even explaining these things and on top of that if there's some construction work or firecrackers or lift you know the noise from the lift it yeah. just leads to a meltdown right yeah yeah and um, so when are we resting exactly because you're constantly trying to survive in this world forget thriving yeah you're just constantly trying to survive yeah all the time <laughs> <laughs> um i know we talked a bit about like your school experiences schooling experiences and uh, offline also uh, we have talked about you know um you navigating the educational system with learning disabilities um could you tell us a bit more about uh, those experiences and like how was it like in school how did you navigate um how did you realize and affirm um these learning disabilities uh, how has the journey been like uh, in adulthood definitely so so <clears throat> so like i i remember as, as as long as i remember like i i mean i think it all started with me being a lefty you know like and this has nothing to do with like my learning disability it's just me being lefty which already made me like non normative right so i was already outside the system and i and that's how like, literally my schooling system start like schooling journey whatever started where like teachers are coming and telling me hey, why are you using your left hand and everything so anyway confidence wahi khatam ho gaya tha so confidence was over there only uh, with respect to how i am presenting myself and then like much later and this is basically my entire school life but like it is like a few years ago in retrospect i realized like i always had a learning disability recently i realized perhaps i have two uh, or maybe three and you know like how neurodivergent brains are there's like never a clear answer of what a neurodivergent brain is so like all these again at the end of the day all these labels and all we talk about it's it's far more complex than than it looks anyway coming back so basically i like for me schooling was difficult in terms of um you know just learning like just able to process information uh how do i process information how do i take that information that is there in the book and take that and put it in my brain right and store it um and for the longest time obviously like because while i was growing up i was taking help of like either my parents or taking help of my tuition teacher or you know teachers at school or whatever whatever Uh, they all had a very specific way of teaching and which was the normal way of teaching which is like they write you read you understand and that's it um i'll uh, and 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 another thing was like my handwriting like everyone like was just behind my life to change my handwriting and they would be like cursive me likho cursive me likho and i'm not able to understand my own writing and that was the problem i did not write not in cursive because i was I, my handwriting wasn't good and they were like you need to have good handwriting the problem was i was not able to read my own handwriting if i write it in cursive and as much later i realized that i don't write in cursive now anymore i have these very block letter sort of handwriting only because like my dyslexia doesn't allow me to understand cursive it's like everything gets mixed up and and again like the representation of when words get mixed up is not exactly how they show showed it in like the the bollywood movie tare zameen par or anywhere else we have read about dyslexia it is it is just uncomprehendable like you can't comprehend what's written and that's that was what my journey was like so imagine my main source of information is coming from notebooks which i have written in 
and I'm not able to understand that. And obviously that did so many things to like, and I will come talk about the mental health aspect of having having a non-normative life, maybe perhaps later in the podcast. Um, or perhaps there's like an entire episode for that later. <laughs> but But the fact being that I was not able to understand my own handwriting and those things were happening. And it's only much later when I became like slightly older, when I was able to control the way I would learn. Uh, this was around in 10th grade. So I basically scored really bad from the beginning. Like I was not a good student. I mean, their definition of what a good student is. I was not a good student. I couldn't get good marks. And only because I just did not literally learn what I was able to, what others were able to learn. And only in 10th grade is when I was left by myself and I was asked to like study on my own. I developed so many different ways of learning, right? So I developed a way uh, through storytelling. I developed a way through, I, I would literally be in front of the mirror and be like, you know, I'm a news reporter and I'm reporting this news. And I would like talk about an entire history lesson. Um, and that's how I started learning. And then I realized like I'm a visual thinker or, uh, you know, images help me learn. And and I scored really well in 10th grade. Um, and that's what I decided that this is the way I'm following. But it took me so many years. And and I'm not going to even talk about like the what it did to my self-confidence when every time a teacher or even like within my family I had members who uh, who were studying better who were doing better who were getting better much much better grades it does something to your self-confidence it does talk about um how you are as a person in that particular space and uh, yeah it took a toll on me but coming back to like adulthood uh i one day i decided you know what like i know i have a disability and i am gonna figure it out so i like Firstly, figure out where do I figure it out? Like where do what do I do? I did Google, blah, 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 found a doctor, saved up a lot of money because it does take. So nobody talks about how much how expensive it is to be a non-normative identity. Like either you're queer, trans, you are a, a neurotypical a neuro a divergent, everything just costs money because you're working against the system. So obviously I had to find like a doctor who would help me, you know, do these assessments. And the assessment came out and the assessment basically said a possible yes or a no. And I was like, what is the point of the assessment if it's a possible yes or a no? How does this make sense? And then I started, and then, and which I should have done before the, giving the test and paying a lot of money for this. Then I realized that most of these tests that are dev developed for, say, especially for learning disabilities like dyslexia or dysgraphia, are made for younger kids, right? Uh, by the time you are 18 or you are above 18, and I took this test when I was like 20, whatever assessment when I was 26. So by the time I had already developed mechanisms to sort of overcome the challenges that my dyslexic brain uh, would have or would get. Um, so what happened is that I could not, like the, even the test got confused as to if the brain is dyslexic or not. Um, and and then that's when I started, I was like, I know there is something with this test didn't give me the answer. And then that's when I actually started getting into disability rights and started reading more about it, met disabled people from like all the parts of the world through like, thank you, internet. So that happened. And that's when I realized that, you know, I don't need a test to 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 say that I am, uh, you know, neurodivergent. I know I'm neurodivergent. Um, and a lot of people are actually neurodivergent right and and there is no test that can actually validate that because neurodivergent doesn't work the way we think it works it's not like you get eight out of ten in a certain test and that's what will make you dyslexic or dysgraphic but it is four in this five in that like a little bit of adhd is present a little bit of 
you know, dyslexia is present, a little bit of depression as a disability is also present, like all of these things. That's how brain works. Um, and that's that's the journey I was on for the longest time. And now I'm at like a place where I sort of understand who I am as a as a as a disabled person, as a neurodivergent person. Yeah, but it was tiring. It was so tiring. So <laughs> that. <laughs> no, totally. This is like so relatable. Remember when we were like kids or like, you know, young adolescents, there was this Apsaraka ad, extra marks for good handwriting. Like, yeah. Can you yeah. imagine, you know, perpetuating stuff like that? Oh my uh, God. Why would you do that? And then, you know, even handwriting, like, why is that the only way, the right way to do things? I do not understand. Back yeah. then, I just did it because that was cool. And yeah. uh, you had to do certain things because I didn't fit in, right? So these yeah. were the sort of validations that I sought to, you know, uh, overcompensate for the lack of, you know, feeling like I belong somewhere, uh, especially among peers and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Uh, why would you like even like there were ads like that, you know, <laughs> it's just so ableist. So ableist, so ableist, like, uh, the, I mean, now at this point, I think and look back and I'm like, there are not like 100 examples, but like a million examples, which like literally were contributing actively contributing to making my life as a as a intersectional marginalized identity force, right? Like life is anyway bad not because i'm uh, we are all against the system or whatever the structure and then there are these ads which are just like oh my god and so many examples i can talk about like an ad which you know attacked my 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 sexual orientation ads that attacked my disability acts that i mean it's just endless yeah totally totally um yeah. you were one of the first people that i actually like talked openly about self-identification because Mm -hmm. I was also having this internal journey that was my secret you know figuring myself out just like my sexuality or uh, Mm. gender Mm. so I was reading up a lot on autism secretly uh, on neurodivergence and uh, I know you were one of the first people uh, with whom I talked about the importance of self-identification. So hmm. do you want to tell us more about your thoughts on why self-identification, self-realization is important? Yeah, yeah. I mean, self-identification, realization, self-determination. I think whenever we're talking about being, of and, and, and not just restricted to disability, but like any being any sort of marginalized identity, your experience is your experience. What you have experienced has nobody else has experienced, right? And and that is such a fundamental, I think, I think has been like this fundamental force in my life that has just made me come to a place where I'm like, okay with things because that gave me the power to understand that, yeah, maybe what I am feeling, nobody else can. And that's the truth, right? Um, self-identification or even self-determination of, about like with respect to disability is is precisely that, like you know your experience and you know uh, that your brain is neurodivergent, like you have a neuro, you are a neurodivergent person, your brain functions differently. Um, and again, there, of course, there's no hierarchy that neurotypical above or below or whatever. It's just a different sort of brain. Um, and it is incredibly important. And I, I feel it's also so empowering. But when, when we realize that, you know, we can actually identify ourselves the way we want to, 
um and of course like i know a lot of cisset people who are like the stupidest comment about self identification and they go like oh but what if i believe i'm this and what if i'm a tree and all of that and i'm like just just what like what is happening so anyway so this 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 is extremely important and i think uh, was a turning point in my life also when i actually realized that all these tests that or these all these assessments that we were talking about are also made by neurotypical brains right so why is a neurotypical brain still you know deciding who i am or how i will be um and then from that point onward like i just rejected and like rejected the entire system because even these assessments are part of that system um and there is i don't think of i mean you i i don't think a test can actually like really tell who you are uh, i wish it was that simple but it isn't and and a new and neurodivergent is like i wouldn't i want to say complex but it is it has a lot of things like a test can't comprehend like put all these things together so yeah you know people often tell me that you know you overthink a lot and i think overthinking itself is such a you know huge marker of neurodivergent yeah. brain yeah. yeah yeah um it's like don't even underestimate that i'll go on like a full blown research to figure yeah. things out um, yeah. you know that was what my journey was like also So yeah. that is like one of the most neurodivergent things ever. Neurotypicals don't think so much, and they yeah. will immediately tell you like, "Oh my God, you're overthinking this." Yeah. I mean, yeah. what is overthinking? What is what too is sensitive? Overthinking? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And and you know, I recently read this uh, somewhere, and I found it so interesting. And it was basically a neurotypical person telling a neurodivergent person, saying, "Oh, you are overthinking a lot." right and the neurodivergent is like no you are underthinking like this is the standard like this is how much one should think <laughs> and i was like oh shit yeah that makes so much sense like what if this is the standard like it's only because how we see what the standard is we think that neurotypical brains and the ability of their their ability to think is like what thinking should look like and anything beyond that is like overthinking but what if overthinking was actually the standard and every other neurotypical brain is underthinking you know imagine if and that would like just this narrative would turn the table so much and I, like you know i would love to i wouldn't do it but i would love to go to a neurotypical person and it's like why do you think so less why do you not think don't you have the ability to think like imagine if we start doing that right or why are you not sensitive at all why are you so less sensitive like what is happening like you know who what is over what is over what what is the standard who's setting the standard so yeah this reminded me of that and i, I thought that was powerful Oh God! <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, if you do it, let me know how it goes. I would love to hear the insights on highly that. Highly capable, highly capable of doing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, now that we were speaking about you know, uh, like the challenges which come uh, when you are a neurodivergent person. So, how do you navigate workplace as a neurodivergent person? Because that was. It's so uncertain, right? Even in school, you have some sort of structure. Mm. Like at least for me, that was what the case was. Like there were routines, there were periods. You know, you had like you know, this is the time for this. So that there was some kind of structure. But at workplace, like you are just like left into the sea. Um, yeah. I mean, you're on yeah. a boat. You're on the sea. You don't know where you're going. So it's so crippling. Um, you know, most of the time. So how do you navigate? Yeah. um workplace as a neurodivergent person yeah so 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 to be honest i have been a little lucky when it has come to like workplaces and being a neurodivergent 
uh, person at workplaces. Um, like I, I remember like because I work in the social sector and for those for listeners who are not in the social sector, the work is very different from the corporate sector. Like it is it is not I wouldn't I don't want to say as structured, but it, like, I mean, you have a lot of uh, sort of liberty in, in terms of like what you want to do because it is a people centric job. Um, but I have also worked in corporates where I had to like sign in at 8 a.m. exactly. And then I had to like log out at like 5 p.m. and all I had to do all of that. Um, and I've been lucky because in both cases, both things were extreme in the sense that like the jobs that I've had in the social sector were super liberal. So I actually had the space to create the 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 structure, the day, the way I wanted. And when I was in corporate, it was super structured. Uh, sorry, in in social structure, social sector, yeah, it was super liberal. And in the in 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 the corporate job, it was super structured. So which meant that I knew exactly what is going to happen at what time, and I was able to function there so well. Um, in the social sector, because it's free. I was able to create my own structure and implement that. But of course, like it has been also a challenge sometimes, like small, small things. Like say, for example, if my manager calls me and he's like, you know what, I want to talk to you. Can you book a meeting for 3 p.m. tomorrow? And and that's it. Like that's the end of the phone call. And I am going to freak out. And like I am going to spend my entire day thinking what the manager wants to talk about. Right. What do they want from me? And And this is this is what i think neurotypical people if there was a neurotypical person they would think about oh i'm not sure what the manager wants to talk to me about but they would be okay with it but i would get obsessively uh, into it and i'll be like oh did i do this did i do that blah 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 so i think navigating spaces in workplace like that has been difficult with respect to i think noise has been like since the time i like since covid happened and work from home was a possibility um i have been like i've been trying my best to either work from home or a place where I feel comfortable only because I can truly work in such places, right? Because now I realize that going to office, talking to people, having so many people come in, go out, there's a lot of disturbance that's there all the time. And for a neurodivergent brain, I think it's very difficult to, uh, and again, like every neurodivergent person's experience is different. For me, it was difficult because I can't work in a place where there are so many things that I have to that that asks for my attention right like and and somebody who also has adhd it's like for me i get i wouldn't say i just pay a lot of attention to a lot of things all the time so for me even when i'm doing one email i'll suddenly move on to another tab because somebody on the other table was talking about something else and then i'll and that tab journey will be like 45 minutes later uh 45 minutes long and 45 minutes later i'll come back and i'm like oh shit i was actually writing this email which i totally forgot about right and explaining this to my colleagues has could could be has been challenging even though like i've been super lucky so that that way it has worked out but i know a lot of people who 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 are in spaces where they don't have that option and have struggled so at the workplace, it, it gets tricky. And the thing is, nobody talks about it. Nobody talks about neurodivergent. Nobody talks about neurodivergent people being so good at like creative thinking, so good at like designing new things, so good at like critically analyzing, filtering, reviewing things. But but like, yeah, you can use those amazing things that neurodivergent people have to provide only when you actually provide the right type of environment and accommodation. So, yeah. Yeah, totally. And uh, something which the 
which people were reluctant to do, providing hybrid uh, work opportunities mm-hmm. and remote work opportunities. Uh, they started doing that during the pandemic. and uh, But now sort of like people are going back to offices again. And yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know, it just like, uh, I don't like it exactly. And uh, there were so Not many visible people uh, who could work because of those, yeah. you know, um, yeah. uh, policies. But uh, uh, I don't know what it's going to be like right now because it, most people are insisting, you know, uh, to come back to offices. But uh, these are our rights and these reasonable accommodations should be given. Yeah, and I don't find any reason not to do this, right? Like, I mean, I mean, if anything good that came out of the horrible pandemic was one thing that we got to know that there's so much work that can be done without actually being together or like seeing each other every single day and all of that. And a lot of people, of course, like neurotypical brains and other people have this idea that Nahi, we need to do this because we need to like have this whatever group environment and like team culture and building and i feel it was happening perfectly it was happening even when during the pandemic i think people were able to talk to each other of course the scenario then was also different um but i think when people talk about inclusivity diversity and you know having all these policies i think work from home should should be just a right like people who want to avail that and if that's not affecting their work i think they should just be just just be allowed to do it um because i think more, most people are productive uh when they are in settings where they understand especially disabled people um and i'm i'm sure like a lot of listeners are just thinking about physical disabilities at this point when i'm saying disabled um employees but yeah all sorts of disabled people right um and i mean and even small changes like just just like uh, like you remember the last time when we were trying to show this podcast or record this podcast rather uh, I was just so happy when the camera was not on and uh, yeah for the listeners <laughs> no camera is on even right now because both of us are just not very comfortable with camera being on and 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 that like companies I know have policies where you have to keep your camera on if you're attending an online meeting and I'm like why why what is this obsession with looking at the face like what more information are you getting looking at the background of the person um, and this idea that people don't want to work is just so wrong. It's just a capitalistic idea um, that, that you know, people will, I mean, people, there have been research in one after the other where people are just more productive, actually, when they are able to work in the environment of their liking and choice and comfort. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like eye contact is so intimate. Like I can do eye contact with like dangerous. People. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's yeah. like I can do it with safe people. But when I'm trying to actually listen, you know, I hmm. listen better when, you know, I don't have to do these things if I'm looking at something else um, hmm. because it it's just too intimate and then I can't focus on the words or what the other person is trying to say. Yeah. So yeah, doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. Even even the green light on the camera, like when the camera switches on or whatever light that comes on whatever laptop, um, it's just like even if I'm not looking at the screen and looking at the people, I know that somebody has is constantly staring at me, right? And that's the feeling that I think I feel when somebody is just constantly looking at me when there's a meeting on. Uh, and looking at every other piece of information that they can gather from my frame. Um, and I, I just find it so uncomfortable. So 
for most meetings i keep my camera off i also because i handle literally i handle like social whatever i handle like public relations or slash partnerships um in most places that i've worked at i have to like i i mean that's the tricky part like i i am neurodivergent i i avoid social situations where that's literally my work but i think that neurodivergence have also helped me build very strong and very genuine connection so i mean there's no one definition of how neurodivergence works but yeah this camera thing is so real like i i, I hate video conferences yeah and it's said right if you have um, met like one disabled person you have met just one disabled person if you have mm-hmm. met just one neurodivergent person you have just uh, met one neurodivergent person because mm-hmm. everybody is different just like humans even like you know these are not monolith uh, categories like everybody is different yeah yeah so um you know i have one last question for you um you know mm-hmm. we spoke about all these intersections that you have uh, lived with so how do these challenges multiple layers of marginalizations uh, like they multiply right so um, yeah. and how has it been for you you know navigating this when you are non binary person in an ableist um, and uh, cis heteronormative world in what way have they um, you know sort of like multiplied uh, either like in uh, personal settings or workplace um, what would you like uh, for people to know about so they are more um, aware of these intersections when they are interacting with people like us basically yeah i think uh, i think so much like my entire life is just around has been especially the past one decade has been just around uh, the amount of time i've spent one on just understanding myself and now i've almost spent a decade doing that and now i know like i'm spending perhaps another decade explaining to others what i have understood with respect to all these three identities and imagine like the amount of data so that i'm talking about gender i'm talking about sexuality i'm talking about disability to everyone around me all the time i think it's just being so tiring and i i just think that imagine um all this energy you know this is all the energy that i've spent in researching and figuring things out and understanding the world understanding myself and all of those things imagine all this energy i had just put in in something else i would have been a billionaire by right now like i'm not giving it i'm just i always think like the amount of energy that we spend like marginalized communities uh, people from marginalized communities spend on just existing what if they and then what are these non marginalized identities doing like they have so much energy and nobody's talking about this this equality of like say energies in terms of just like body energy and like mental energy and all of those things like imagine the amount of work that could have been done otherwise like because if i if i was growing up and if i was in a world where you know being queer is not an issue at all like everyone just is expected to queer and you actually come out straight uh then i would have been like i don't know like pro- probably started a business by now had like i don't know like a priyanka chopra life i i don't know i quoted that example i'm so disappointed with myself but <laughs> but point being like i would have just like done so many things and um and and i'm i'm talking about all sorts of marginalizing uh, identities including like women who have to uh, just navigate their life being women and imagine if they didn't have to they can actually put that energy in doing so much more so coming back to the point is just the fact that it's it's just been tiring and i'm like 
why am i doing this like why just to just, just a basic thing i want to do is just live and enjoy life and for that i have to do all of these things ah uh, yeah like when do i stop this when do i when am i like even say for example i also do art on the side and then there've been so many times when i'm like publishing my art and you know i'm sending it to like people or i'm sending it to like whatever magazines and all of that and they always say oh this is a queer artist this is a disabled artist and i'm like i'm just an artist and it's just like can i as much as i really like having these identities because they they help me navigate the world in a better way and it's also a way to like sort of fight oppression at the same time i'm also very tired with these labels because a lot of non marginalized people uh don't carry these labels with them and they, they these labels have a sort of weight that you have to you know sort of work with so so just that i think i'm just like oh, give me like look on the or something because i'm tired yeah you know certain kind of expectations are also attached uh when uh, these labels come up and then you are also sort of invited to the specific kind of talks where you can only talk about these things and um, yeah like i don't know it's like these words help me explain myself but i also mm-hmm. um don't want to be put into a box by other people exactly exactly as long as we are doing it it's great because i didn't have the language to talk about these things so now that i have it it's empowering but i yeah. don't want others to do it and then also there are so many intersections and multiple layers this caste their um, religious minorities so the marginalizations uh, i mean it's just when you are multiply marginalized is so damn difficult to yeah. navigate this uh, world yeah. and feminist labor is draining all okay. kinds of feminist labor and i just feel like even normal day to day conversations include a lot of feminist labor and i have not reached that point where i have been able to dissociate myself like my work is very personal <laughs> so yeah. um yeah. yeah it's even more um tiring that way yeah for sure like imagine and especially like for a lot of us who and a lot of our friends that we have as well who have been constantly working to to you know change something about this world their personal life and their professional life both are the same thing and i mean all the aspects of the life have this element that they have to continuously like sort of navigate with engage with and all of that and i, and i don't know if and and that's why we burn out we burn out so so fast yeah totally relatable yeah. i mean uh, even in this sort of like a bitter sweet moment i just feel a lot of validation right now and mm. i think that is one of the reasons why i started this podcast um so the conversations that i was having in private with uh, people like me i yeah. could bring it out to the world so they can also hear and hold the space for these messy selves um yeah. because we deserve to take that space N- not just because we are inspirational or we are doing great things even our yeah. rage even our disillusionment disillusionment <laughs> trauma yeah. everything should get space uh, especially when you are talking about feminist politics for feminist politics right so yeah 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 no no i was just saying i'm just thinking about the podcast itself and i think it's such a great idea and i'm just like like just thank you for doing this because like these voices need to be out there need to be just everyone just need to hear just hear us out at least that's the least you can do just sun lo hamari baat hai kya bol raha hu 
so yeah exactly thank you for, for doing sure. this yeah thank you <laughs> thank you for taking out the time and i know this is our second attempt but um, yeah thank you thank you so yeah. much <laughs> so much fun so much fun and i i really hope like we are also somehow find a way to actually record our you know off the record conversations in certain way because there's just so much like every time i think people like us we are talking i think something so beautiful comes out and i'm just learning so much more like even i heard like the first episode of your podcast and i was just like wow like there's so many things i can relate to and so many things i'd learned also like there were so many things i did not know about and i was like yeah this is precisely what we need and so just thank you for doing this and thank you for having me on the show uh, this was so much fun i'm i'm glad uh, i'm like right now i'm going through my burnout as well and uh, i can't uh-huh. mask properly during this time so i'm also right. like starting out with people i know i have some level of comfort where they will understand me mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah thank you for understanding uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah okay if you are hearing this message um you have listened to the entire episode so thank you so much for sticking around if you enjoyed the episode and would like to support it do consider sharing it with others giving a shout out on social media or leaving us a review you can listen to atypical dikkate on spotify and if you want to reach out to me your host somya check out the linktree link in the description see ya Thank you.